Welcome back to another episode of Rule the Galaxy. I'm Jess, and I'm here tonight with uh, our regular Alfie and our very special guest, Jonathan Davis, whose voice you're probably very familiar with if you've um, listened to any Star Wars audiobooks um, or, I mean, maybe even books outside of the Star Wars universe. So, um, Alfie, uh, excited to, to uh, be with you tonight. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. Thank you. Um, I'm excited too. I love getting into and hearing more behind the stories of, you know, what goes into making Star Wars. Uh, uh, my mind just went completely blank here because I've been trying to think of something all day and keep it in my mind. But yeah, I just be interested to see, uh, you know, and talk to our guest, his experiences with these audiobooks. Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us tonight. Um, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was uh, great to be here before, and I'm looking forward to diving in with, with you all. Yeah, this is Jonathan's second time on the podcast, and uh, it's kind of fun because neither Alfie or I were on that first episode, so um, we, you know we're not going to be uh, doubling up too much, get a whole new experience tonight. Um, but yeah, it, if, if people aren't aware, um, yeah, uh, yeah, um, I was able to look up some, some stats on, uh, Jonathan's Star Wars related audiobook career. Um, now Wikipedia doesn't seem like it's been fully updated since, uh, some of the more recent projects, but I, I, as far as they say at last count, you've got about 63 works under your belt for Star Wars alone. Um, and I mean, that's, I, I think that uh, before we started, you mentioned that you thought that we're coming up on the, what, 20 year mark of, of uh, recording for Star Wars. Is that correct? Yeah, for me. Yeah. And I think that that must be about right. That sounds about right to me. Um, there may even be a, well, yeah, I'm assuming I haven't seen the, the, uh, the list on Wikipedia in a, in a while. So I know that there are some, even some projects that were made that were made as discs back in the, or even as cassette tapes back in the books on tape days when it was called that. Um, and I don't even think they're listed like on Audible or sites like that. Uh, or maybe they, they may be, you know, there was one called Dark Rendezvous, which is a great story, and it, it may be on Wikipedia, um, but uh, I know that it's it wasn't available on Audible last time I checked. But yeah, it, it's been, I believe, the first project that I did um, for Random House at the time, Random House Audio, with Kevin Thompson, who is still the, the oh. director and producer. Um, I was Attack of the Clones, and that was 20 years ago, or about 20 years ago. Yeah, I suppose they just had the 20-year the um, celebration, at, at Star Wars Celebration, the, the panel for that, so it must have been right around that time. And that was, it was fascinating. Um, the, what was so cool back then, what I remember particularly about that project was, um, this was before, you know, there weren't tablets around back then so everything when we when we read when we recorded and we read it was all scripts that we had in hand we had the text that and it would take longer to record also because there was a lot of page turning so there's a lot of editing that had to be done you know afterwards which is a lot easier to do these days um but back then in the margins uh 
I even think it was Lucas himself or or somebody definitely that was involved at Lucasfilm. They would write in the in the margins about you know the the film and about what the story was like and let's edit this and let's uh, you know they were talking about changes and and it was just really you know kind of a back and forth between the author and Lucas um, and uh, the the books it was so what's so cool about doing the books um, that are related to the movies themselves and perhaps those who have spoken to Mark Thompson he would agree is that we we get the we get the stories before the movies are released so it's really neat to at back then to have seen what they were talking about before the movie was even released as attack of the clones uh so that was fascinating yeah you're kind of even preempting some of the a couple of different things that i wanted to ask you about one which was you know how things have changed in the last 20 years i mean this is a period where over two decades you've seen a whole host of changes related to the technologies that are being used or even even the the methods by which you're recording these things and i'm just kind of wondering would you mind talking a little bit about how things have changed in the last 20 years especially in relation to like you know i i think that it's kind of funny that you with with the covid pandemic it seems like the entire world got clued in to the technologies related to you know even just things like this just ways to record ways to work from right. home did did your work change much related to covid as opposed to other greater changes that had happened over the last 20 years well for me for me specifically uh and for most most voice actors if you're a voice actor that had a home studio which i did prior to the pandemic uh i was fortunate that it was easier for me to transition uh to working completely from home most of the time and specifically for the star wars audiobooks i would never record at home we would always go to a studio in new york city um to record and a very specific studio because the uh, producers had a very spe have a special relationship with um a, a a fellow named paul goodrich who has a studio named merlin studios and he is an Academy Award winner, and he mixes and masters and does the sound design and many times records, or it's at least his studio that the projects are recorded at. Um, so it was a big change there because then everything had to be done from the studio. I mean, I'm sorry, from the home studio. Uh, and when we were doing projects like Doc Afra, Doc, uh, yeah, yes, Dr. Doc Afra. Afra, Doc Afra, and, um, Tempest Runner. Uh, those were multicasts, but they were done completely from home studios using Zoom or Skype or whatever other technology that we had to be able to record all of us together, you know, in, in one sequence uh, for those multicast projects. Usually we'd all be in the studio and we'd all be in one room with a mic in the middle and maybe seven or eight of us around it. That's what we did for um, Dooku. For the for Dooku, yes, for Dooku. Um, so that was and that was the first big multicast that we did. We had also done um, a, a Mark and January Lavoy and I had done the uh, Shakespeare project, yes. the Star Wars Shakespeare by Ian Desher, which was fantastic. And we had done those projects prior to that, um, but then they expanded it with, with uh, Dooku. They kind of expanded that project to include a lot more narrators, which they've been doing uh, more and more so in the uh, recent years. Uh, so that was a big change, just having to do it uh, in the home studios. And now I think probably things are starting to ease up so that you know, more and more people are doing it in stu in different studios. I recorded Brotherhood in a studio uh, outside of my house, you know, in a different studio. So that was nice to to be involved with that again. Do you enjoy that? Is it, is it a mark where you're able to, like, does it put you in a different mentality when you're able to go someplace else? Or are you pretty, you know, 
used to either way anything's good for you i enjoy both uh for different reasons you know obviously i can roll out of bed and just go to my booth and record you know or something like that but it's but then also it's nice to get out of the house and to go into the studio and to have um you know to be one-on-one -on -one where you're actually seeing you know your uh your director and your producer and your your sound engineer um but I, I'm 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 not partial to one or the other particularly. I, I still suppose I mean it was nice to be in a line of work where, you know, th things changed when the world went to social distancing. But I mean, you were ready. I just I I lucked out. I, it was just a, a bit fortunate in my in my profession, uh, just to to have that. But it did change. There were a lot of people that weren't used to that. You know, there were a lot of people that solely worked from from a studio, you know, that was not their own. And they had to adapt. I think now everybody that's in VO in voiceover, pretty much the majority of them have their own setups. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it even strikes me though, that, um, you know, voice actors who worked on the Clone Wars and other Star Wars yeah. animation shows, you know, they talk as well about the fact sure. that like when, when those were recorded, I mean, it, there was a, there was a real, you know, principal theme of, of wanting to have everybody in the studio to be able to record together for you yeah. when you're doing projects like Dooku Jedi Lost, do, do you find that it has a real significant um, impact on your own performance when you're surrounded by people who are also on the project? Oh, sure. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Because you're feeding off each other and particularly, you know, when you're in this, when you can see them, you know, when you can see each other's, you know, reactions. Uh, that's extremely helpful, but that doesn't always work out anyway. And particularly in animation, um, a lot of people record on their own. You know, they don't. You know, it depends on people's schedule. So, you know, it, it's they got to be really lucky that everybody shows up on the same day uh, to have that. So it, it that's almost a bit unusual. You know, when you have, for instance, with Jedi Lost, when we did that, I mean, everybody was there, and we were all You know, we were all really you know circled around the the with our own separate microphones but we were all pretty much in a circle working off each other so that was that was exceptional yeah it's been so fun to see what they're doing with these these big cast recordings i i'm such a fan of the that kind of um radio type of of uh, mm -hmm. program that uh, it's 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 fun to be able to have the novels and and in in a way you know to be able to have just one person giving their interpretation of all of the characters yeah. that's that's a lot of fun but there's something really really cool that they're they're diving into all of these bigger cast recordings as well what's great about when you're doing it when it's a single narrator because this is what i love about narration in general um, is that for me, my favorite part of narration is not necessarily the dialogue or character work. It's really setting the scene, mm -hmm. you know, describing a world, describing a, an emotion, describing the dreariness of a planet. You know, if, if it's, you know, describing the deserts of Tatooine or the bustling metropolis of Coruscant to describe that and to describe the world if you're in the Galactic Senate and to describe the feeling of being within that uh, Congress it's 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 exciting to to dive into that that's what I I really enjoy and that you're not necessarily going to get in a multicast uh, that's going to be slightly different they're, they're not going to really describe everything there it's going to be more like as you said more like a radio play um, so they are different. I have noticed that 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 is something that you know I'm I'm somebody who listens to a lot of the audiobooks while I'm driving and and usually mm -hmm. I can listen at a a quicker tempo than it you know I'll put it up to a you know sure. one and a half speed or two. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't do that as much with the radio dramas oh, when it's yeah. going from person to person. Yeah. You know this it it just makes me realize that there's really a you're you're still doing mental work as you're listening to these things. And I think that there's something to be said that when, at least when it's one narrator with an audiobook and it's a story that's obviously not all dialogue, that yeah. 
it, it, at least to me, I found that it's a little bit easier to to uh, clip along with with those kinds of productions. But with the the, the dramas, you really got to kind of slow down because you you're not handed everything. You know, if, if there's if there's a setting or or something, you know, they have to convey that in the dialogue and other yeah. places. Other places, it might be left a little bit ambiguous. But sure. I, they they really do bring you in as somebody who kind of has to interpret the entirety of the story as you're going along. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Alfie, did you have any questions for our guest tonight? I did, but I got to be honest, listening to you talk, you two talk back and forth. I've just kind of gotten lost in this. It's been a really good conversation so far. Um, I think looking through this list right here, one that going back to what Jonathan was saying about setting the scenes I really want to go back and listen to this uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, audiobook because that is honestly one of my favorite Star Wars books. And I would love to hear it narrated that way. And in fact, I think, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and buy that right now. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one really is a masterpiece and so, so much fun to be able to hear it read aloud. It's, it's so like that, that's one that I find that across the fandom, everybody's just kind of in agreement that the characterization of Revenge of the Sith, the kind of the the grandiose mythological feel of it is yes. just so yeah. palpable. That whole right. opening to that book, yeah, it gets me every exactly. time. Exactly. I remember the opening. I was just about to talk to say mention it. That's that still is with me. You know, it's uh it's uh it really sets the mood. And um it's it's cool just to yeah not just in the book itself but you know as a narrator or as a as an audience listening to that it can be quite thrilling yeah. it's fun oh sorry you because on. with that book you know visually in the movie that first 30 seconds there's no dialogue it's just two yeah. ships in a battle but right. it gives you such a sense of what is happening and when you go to that book you know it goes a completely different route in just like you said, it really sets that tone of what this book is about. What What is this scene trying to show us about Anakin and Obi-Wan, how they've become, you know, two brothers? Right, right. It strikes me that, um, you know, the, the first couple of, of projects that you worked on, you know, Attack of the Clones, then Revenge of the Sith after that, you know, you were right there with Anakin and Obi-Wan right from the beginning. And especially when it comes to Obi-Wan, I mean, you've really been able to dig into most of the the books related to him you you've done uh i mean after that it would have been uh kenobi, kenobi. right yes. kenobi right. right and then uh master and apprentice mm -hmm. and now just very recently brotherhood so yes. with with those characters especially especially obi-wan you know what what is it like to be able to have those characters that you're able to return to again and again and oh, are you I able to it. pull them out of your head just like that yeah i mean particularly you know there's certain characters and yes obi-wan is one uh i loved that i finally got the opportunity because qui-gon is one of my favorite characters if not yes. my favorite so to be able to voice him, uh, I was very excited to do that. Um, and, you know, there are also, <laughs> to mention, there are also, before Kenobi, I did a series called Jedi Quest. Yes. So there was a few, it was really, you know, the beginning kind of with a very, you know, like a young Anakin, not a Jake Lloyd Anakin, but a young Anakin and Obi-Wan, you know, uh, with these side adventures that were really charming, you know, so that was really, I think, right, you know, after the, the movies, we dove into those, or after Attack of the Clones, I kind of dove into those books, then came Revenge of the Sith, and then much later, Kenobi, and then Master and Apprentice, and now Brotherhood. Uh, but it is, you know, we've talked many, I've told people on different podcasts, we've talked about how, um, there was a time when Mark, Mark and I, uh, when we were, when it was primarily Mark and I as narrators, Mark tended to do certain characters. Maybe he did more of the, 
from A New Hope onward, certain characters like Luke and Han, and and I had the the honor to focus on Obi Wan and Qui Gon, and uh, and characters from the what used to be the prequels, and um, so and then or even you know light and dark characters. Mark would do more. Uh, <laughs> Jedi-centric characters, and I would do the darker characters, uh, such as the Darth Bane trilogy, and uh, several uh, books that that were where Vader was prominent. Yeah, you, yeah, Bane, Vader. You did Maul. Maul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, what fun! Do do you and did you, do you have a preference when it comes to diving into the psyche of you know good characters, bad characters? Is there oh, any course. difference? Yes, yeah. Uh, dark, uh, conflicted characters are always uh, uh, much more fun to do. I would think. I mean, in, in general, and uh, yeah, you can really dive into their psyche and. Um, flesh them out in a way uh, I, I yeah i i tend to enjoy that and i think it just suits my voice and my my style also you know I, um in preparation for this i listened to the the previous episode that you did with rule the galaxy and i mm-hmm. really encourage our listeners to go back and and find that episode with jonathan um I remember on that one, this was before you recorded Brotherhood. And at that yes. time you were talking about the fact that, you know, this would be coming up. You'll probably, you know, take a week to go do that. And, and that's how long it would take, you know, five or six days to yes. complete a book. Is that pretty typical? And is that how it usually pans out? It is. Yeah, that is that is typical. Uh, yeah, five, maybe seven, depending on the length. Um yeah, that that is kind of what we, we go to the studio and um, uh, we're there about seven hours, and uh, yeah, it takes about maybe five days, maybe a little longer. Is that something where you've had to, you know, over the the last couple of decades, work your way up to being able to speak that long? Did it, or have you always <laughs> been able to kind of pump out That's that a many good words? Question. No, that's that's a great quest question. It's um, it it is it you it, it is it's an it's an endurance game. It really is where um, this kind of not everybody can do this kind of narration. You know, uh, a lot of people in voiceover are used to doing, you know, uh, a thirty-minute spot. <laughs> you know, or or maybe if you're doing animation, maybe you're doing. 30, 40 minutes, you know? Um, I mean, you may be doing several episodes a day, but still it's not quite the same where it's just you, you know, doing pages and pages of, of, of text um, and storytelling. And it, it's almost like instead of like a sprinter, it really is like an endurance runner. And it does take time. My very first project, uh, not, not a Star Wars audiobook, but my very first audiobook that I ever did, I lost my voice within like three days. I it it I lost it. I was you know I was new. I had not didn't have the experience. I was also sick, which which probably had something to do with it. I just caught a bug, but you know I didn't I didn't know how to. Uh, I wasn't uh, too keen in terms of taking care of myself and knowing how to reserve my voice in a way because I have even recorded sometimes when I have been ill and you just have to find ways to barrel through you know or or in a way to really temper your sound and temper your delivery so it, it it yes it's it does it does the more you do it like any muscle like anybody that's exercising anything uh, the stronger it gets. And Healthy. your technique changes too. I'm sorry, you take your just your technique also, you become aware of uh, you develop your own technique and your own way of, of doing it. And it, it may be kind of obtuse when I say that, but 
when you're when you're involved in in this kind of niche of voiceover you kind of understand it there have been people celebrities that i know that you know they'll people want to hire them thinking oh they're great actors and they are great actors they're great cinema actors you know or they're great or even great a great stage actor although stage actors tend to uh have a, a kind of understand how to use their their voice in a different way than cinema actors sometimes and you know some people go and and they they'll say i'll never do it again it was too much you know it's just not it's not for me you know so it is and there there are some actors out there um people that you may not even realize but they're fantastic narrators um such as Bronson Pinchot from uh, uh, Perfect Strangers, if you remember that sitcom, and uh, Will Patton and Campbell Scott, uh, Kate Winslet, who's an A-list actor, but she's fantastic. Tandy yeah. Newton is great. These are just people that I'm mentioning off the cuff who are celebrities, Alan Cumming, Ed mm -hmm. Herman. Uh, these are people that are really, really, they, they're really good at, at this medium too, but it's not for everybody. I, I work at a publishing house and we do audiobooks of our own. And it's amazing oh. uh, that uh, sometimes you get those authors who they just desperately want to be the one to do the audiobook, And, you know, if they're, if they're really insistent, we'll let them do uh, it. And, sure. and sometimes they come away saying, you know, that was great. And some of them go come away saying, man, that is something that is much more work than I ever would have expected it would be. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it you know, it, it, it takes, uh, it really takes a certain skill, you know, you know, there are even people that were, I know that were, that are part of the, the F Star Wars film world, who have done some audiobooks and mm -hmm. found it very difficult, because once again, Cinema is a visual medium, and this is an oral medium, so it's just a very different animal. Right. Alfie, did you have anything that you wanted to say? Yeah, I just wondered, uh, do you have any, is there anything you do to prepare yourself, like, bef in the weeks up to when you have a role like this, or, and then while you're doing it, is there any techniques that you have, you found really help to prolong your voice during recording one of these? I think, well, you know, we, we, most of us read the text prior or, you know, sometimes it's better not to read. It's good to be fresh and kind of just kind of do it on the cuff so that every moment is fresh to you. But it's good to have at least a sensibility of what happens in the text. <laughs> One of my very first projects, so Kevin Thompson before I did, I, I, I auditioned for Star Wars. I had done another project with Kevin, uh, and it was a novel by Neil Stevenson, uh, the seminal cyberpunk writer. And he wrote a book called Snow Crash, which is a very popular book and a, and a, and a very popular audiobook still. And in that, I made the mistake, uh, and we had to go back and record it because I, I didn't I didn't read far enough into it and I decided that one of my characters was going to be a Rastafarian. That's how I decided he was going to be. So I went in and I, I took a bold leap and, and I really went for, you know, kind of, you know, uh, with this character. And then it turned out that not until like halfway through the book, do you just do you discover that he's from the Aleutian Islands, you know? so that just wouldn't work so <clears throat> we had to go back you know after we finished recording we went back to all his stuff his dialogue and and we re-recorded it so that's yeah that's you know where where you really have to be familiar with what you with what the what the text says when it um, comes to uh star wars books when you have like lots of characters who are already in the canon and right. may have may have appeared in in film or tv do you have anybody, you know, are you given files or episodes to watch to, you know, show you what they sound like? Or do you do that research yourself? Or what's that like? Well, it's difficult. Like if you're doing something, for instance, I know, uh, uh, here, here's one example. Uh, 
I did the book Catalyst. Love it. Uh, I just it, I just finished. It's my favorite book now. I I love it too. I think it's fascinating, and I love the relationship between Krennic and and Galen Erso. I mean, it's just a, a terrific story, and uh, and it really I mean, it feeds into Rogue One. I recommend anybody who who loves Rogue One to read or listen to Catalyst. It, it adds so much to- Put that uh, on the list. Oh, you should, you should. And um, so that was before Rogue One came out. So Catalyst primarily deals with Krennic and Galen, and I believe Saw Gerrera is in it too. So we didn't know at the time, oh, actually we did, I knew I did know that Megs Mickelson was playing Galen Urso. I knew that Ben Mendelsohn was playing uh, Krennic. And because of that, I actually lobbied for that because they're two of my favorite actors. And I said, please, please, please consider me for this project. You know, and I was very fortunate to do it. And then Forrest Whitaker was doing Saw Gerrera. And um, so we did, you know, I, I listened to I didn't know what they were going to do for the characters, but I was familiar with the actors enough that I would listen somewhat to, to, uh, and actually we may have even had, I think, I'm not certain about this. This may be apocryphal in a way, but I, 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 it, I may have even listened to snippets from Rogue One of, or maybe, you know, it was trailers. We had trailers. Okay. So we were able to listen to some snippets and decide, okay, that's a snippet of, of Ben Mendelsohn. That's a snippet of, of, of Whitaker. So we were able to do something and take a semblance of it, even though it may not have been exactly, but it was a semblance. Um, but yes, and in other cases, yeah, we listen to, you know, if it's the Emperor or if it's uh, Vader or whoever, we, we do listen to scenes or we become familiar with it or Kenobi, you know, Qui-Gon and you know on and upward i've heard you mention before that you consider mark mark thompson to be more of the the um you know he, he's the one who can just imitate uh, and he's a, he's a fantastic mimic and a fantastic he's great at the impressions yes uh, where yes. do you find yourself when it comes to you know trying to get those character voices what what goes into that for you for me, it's um, if if well, if we're talking about um, so there's two separate things. If we're talking about characters that we're creating, um, for instance, uh, I was talking about uh, Rail Avaros recently from oh. Master and Apprentice, and I kind of had an idea who I wanted to cast in my head like who would i see in that role and i do that i tend to say okay this is this is who if it's if it's because i it's a very filmic to me audiobooks is a filmic medium too so i do i do kind of you know cast somebody that means something to me so i have an idea of who that would be so for me like real avaros was and i'm giving it away to you know but it was to me he was Sam Elliott. That's who I yeah. saw in that role. So that was kind of what I kind of focused on in my head to do. When we're when we're doing, um, you know, there and you know there are some characters that are that I'm I'm confident in doing. I feel confident, you know, imitating Liam Neeson. I feel confident doing Ewan McGregor. Uh, and then there are others that, you know, with me it's. What's so great with Mark is he can do it on the, you know, the drop of a dime. He can just, you know, he's fantastic at 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 uh, at really bringing in the essence of who they are or, or doing a fantastic impression. It with me, it takes when I'm in the moment. That's when I when I know I can shine. When I'm in the moment of doing it, um, for me. Uh, my focus again is really on building the world and that's most important to me not to get the most perfect impression of a character uh because I, i'm not going to be them all the time it's not someone who that's 
what's important for me is painting the picture of the world. And that's what's most important to me over being pitch perfect with an impression. Right. Yeah, that, that strikes me very much with, you know, just listening to something like Brotherhood. And mm-hmm. like you said, you know, you've got the, the, the you know, the, the city world of Coruscant, but then for that, you know, you had Cato Nymoidia and, and everything yeah. has its own world. And especially, you know, there, there are going to be worlds that come to mind more easily for Star Wars fans. They're going to be able to conjure up those images pretty quickly. But when you have those ones that are either something that's that's totally been made up for a certain book or or whatnot, like there's there, it does strike me that there's a a method to just like, you know, you're, you're painting a picture, and if you take, you know, if you, if you're, and sometimes sometimes that painting is done a little bit better if it can kind of just be free flowing and you know, there's there's kind of a dance to it. Yes, and you know, it's, it's funny when you talk about that book. With, with the Cato Neimoidians, I remember like uh, my direction from PRH Audio was they really wanted to stand clear. They didn't want it to, they didn't want us to imitate the characters from Phantom Menace or Attack of the Club. I mean, they didn't want us to to uh, to really imitate the characters as they were back then. They wanted us to have a different uh approach because they were they were a bit too cartoonish yeah you know uh so we wanted to pull back so with all those characters which were very important in in the brotherhood story we really wanted to to have a, a more realistic you know uh portrayal so again once again you know like i would have to cast like who would i cast in these roles i'm not going to see like i don't see the alien when i'm casting it it's not i don't see an alien i don't try to to do that as much but i cast somebody you know as that person uh, and i wish i remember who <laughs> i don't remember everybody now that i did for like Rouge. i had a specific yeah. person and i'm trying to remember who who it may have been do you ever do you ever get input from the authors at all regarding that? I know that Claudia Gray, she is somebody who very often will fan cast her own characters. So I'm thinking of oh, Master and Apprentice wow. with uh, Pax and Rahara. Mm-hmm. I know that I, I can't remember. I think it was Gemma Chan for Rahara. I can't remember who Pax was. But do you ever get any huh. input from the authors directly, or is that all coming through Penguin Random you House know, Audio? You know, we actually did. We did. Now that I think about it, with Brotherhood. Uh, we did get, um, not, not for Master and Apprentice, but with Brotherhood, uh, the author did provide who he viewed, you know, in certain roles. And okay. we did listen to snippets of those people. And, and that so I, that, I that, that. that would have been for people like Rug and Mill? Yes, absolutely. And I got to tell you, there were some people I had no idea who they were. So for me, it was like, I really did have to listen to the clips, you know, but they were very specific. Like the author liked certain voice actors or certain people from from uh, perhaps the, the Clone Wars series or or other vid- or like a video game actress or something. And we would listen to we listened to those in Master and Apprentice. It was different. I, I wish I would have known that because that that's great i had uh i know my view for one of the characters was richard e grant that's what i did i believe for Pax. okay is that yes um so there were some that's i i didn't i was not aware of that and i wish i was i mean i was not aware of claudia's uh preferences it's good to know though it's always really interesting to me to kind of know um I mean, th- these kinds of projects, they're such a collaborative thing. You've, you, you've got somebody who has written the darn thing, but you know, yeah. you've, you've got a whole team on the publishing side and then um, for you guys taking it and giving it life and a whole team surrounding that. So it's amazing how many people it actually takes to bring one of these projects to life. And the director is, is terrific too. I mean, and I've known him so long now 
So we almost have like a shorthand with dealing with things and talking about, uh, you know, he, he knows my, my approach, he knows my attack with the language or the characters so that he can, he's a really great guide and uh, he really helps formulate the whole, the whole projects and, and the producers too. That's lovely. That's lovely. Well, one more question for me before, you know, I know we, we kind of wanted to talk about, you know, one or two other things, but sure. um, with, with your entire corpus of Star Wars content, I'm sure there are certain projects that really stand out, you know, stuff like the, the, the Bane trilogy and stuff like that, things that people really know and have enjoyed. Are there any that you feel are underappreciated? that you either really enjoyed working on or that you just feel like, you know, maybe people should go back to, especially, you know, stuff like from Legends. What, what needs a resurgence? <laughs> well, well we, we mentioned uh, Catalyst. Yes. Um, I enjoyed uh, the Battlefront book, um, Twilight Company. Battlefront Twilight yeah. Company. I'm sorry. Sometimes, I, as you said, 63 titles. So I'm trying. I'm trying to remember all of them. Um, but I really enjoyed that because what I loved about that story is that you know not all the characters are. I think, with the exception of maybe an appearance of Vader, um, mainly they're created specifically for those stories, probably for the game. Um, but what I loved about that, similar to Rogue One, was that there, there, there's no Jedi, there's no Sith, really. It's, it's just regular people. It's, fo it's following the rebels, you know. And, you know, they may be different. Some of them may be aliens, but none of them have really, you know, any special powers. You know, they're really the grunts. And, uh, and I like that storyline. You know, it, it, it was different. Um, I love the, I really like Dark Lord, Rise of Vader, because that, similar to Kenobi, to the series that came out, to Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, what's, it, it, it's really about Anakin's transformation into Darth Vader. And there's a lot of segments which is about uh, Anakin becoming, you know, adapting to being in the suit, adapting to being a cyborg, adapting to the voice modulation, adapting to the breathing apparatus, you know, where he slowly, he's not Anakin, he's, he's slowly becoming Vader. I love that. That was the first time that we really hear that or we really sense that. And and I think in the new series they 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 approached that too, but that was the first time, and that was Dark Lord. Um, my favorites, you know, I I love the Darth Bane trilogy. I loved Kenobi. Uh, I loved the the segment in Kenobi with the with the Tuscans, the Tuscan Raiders, which is of course what they installed in the Boba Fett series. You know, in in the in the Legends book Kenobi, it's it's really Kenobi, who meets, eventually meets the Tuscans, you know, uh, so, and get to know them, and you really, you know, you, you, uh, there's all these sequences about why they, you know, how they wrap themselves in their garb, and their masks, and their breathing tubes, and everything, it's, and uh, a lot of them are women, spoiler alert, you know, under, underneath all of that, at least in Kenobi. Um, in the in the in the in John Jackson Miller's book, um, so uh, that's that's another one that I love. I was just talking to somebody else about uh, MedStar, which is uh, the series which is about pretty much a mash unit in the rebels, <laughs> you know, the rebel mash unit, and it's a series where it's just about these doctors, you know, helping people, <laughs> you know, during during the galactic wars so it, it that's interesting too those are some great ones i i think that uh, everything that you mentioned i i think uh still on my to be listened to list so i'm gonna have to move those to the top so um but dark, uh, you mentioned dark lord is one of my favorites just oh. and he described it perfectly that's i've always loved that book just for that reason 
That's great. We'll have to, I'll have to do that one. So, but uh, you also, you mentioned Kenobi. So that's a good segue there too. We, I know that on the last episode, we talked about uh, the book of Boba Fett. And since then right. we've gotten even more content. So um, I don't know, how, how about uh, just uh, feel free. What, what did you think about that whole series? I enjoyed it. I, I, I think, you know, um, I, I, I thought Ewan McGregor was top notch. He always was, you know, is, um, and I I like the direction it went, and I like how it ended. You know, I like the direction. I I I wasn't sure how I was going to feel with, uh, you know, preteen Leia, but in the end, I really I I I really liked it. Yeah, I, I think overall, I I quite enjoyed it. What's what are what was the take at at Rule the Galaxy? Well, I wasn't around when uh, we did the uh, the the final look. Alfie, do you, were you there when did kind of an overview? Yeah, I mean, I think ov- overall we all enjoyed the series. Um, just like with every you know bit of content, you're going to have things that you may not like as much as the other. But overall, we we all thought it was pretty good. A good I fun series. There was some, you know, there were some things like. Um, well, I don't know. I'm not, I don't, it's, you know, like they're just sometimes like they were focusing on some, this is the, I think with Boba Fett too, they were focusing on promoting some characters that I just thought was like, why are they focusing on this person? It was like a throwaway character. There was, I forgot his name. He was like, you know, they were like talking about him, like he was going to be the next big thing. And I went, he's not very good and he's not, very essential why are they doing that this is just like one of the pilots or something they were talking about or even kumail nanjani i was like what what's that character about is that really necessary you know Um, i I don't know you know i wasn't you know there were some things but taking that aside and getting to the to the storyline the the prime storyline i i really thought was i thought it was strong see i loved um oh what was her name reva that was a shame uh no uh tala tala i love tala Tala. she was and i was i was like why'd they do (laughs) you know why didn't they kill off somebody else you know you know i thought i i i liked her a lot i thought she did a great job and she's such a she's a veteran actress and it was really you know somebody who knew you know you could just tell with ewan and with her joel edgerton they're really great cinema actors. And some of the other people really aren't cinema actors uh, originally. Maybe they're comics or maybe they're right out of acting school and they're trying to promote them, you know, but they're green, you know. But compared to like her, Indira Varma, is that her? Yeah. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Indira Varma and, and, and uh, Ewan and Joel, uh, Rupert Friend as the Grand Inquisitor, uh, Hayden. I mean, they were all quite good. You know, I, I did. I did enjoy it. It strikes me that, um, you know, I, I actually talked about this on the last episode that I was on. Um, I, I just, I just really feel like Disney really wants to, you know, sit down on like, we're going to market by, you know, titling these shows after a main character, you know, somebody who's going to be recognizable. So then we get things like Kenobi or, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, we get Andor, we're going to have Ahsoka, like all of these things. But then, you know, it does kind of, that kind of marketing opens up the criticism of, well, why did we, why did we get two episodes of Mandalorian season 2.5 in a show called the book of Boba Fett? And if you're, if you're going to do that, then yeah. why not give it a title that is a little bit more representative of this is going to be either an anthology show or you know just kind of a of a, a group kind of experience. So I, I don't know. I, I'm definitely very like even I know Diego Luna has said that Andor is kind of the same way. It's not all mm. about him. And I'm just kind of mm. like, oh see, I'm really yeah. excited about that show because I do think that there's there's a lot of of opportunity for character development across the board. But then yeah. I just go, why do we have to title it after one person? Yeah, right, right. And then it turns out to be about somebody else. That's what yep. I think the criticism with with the Kenobi 
it seemed to be about I forgot her name R Riva R that, yeah Riva uh, 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 there was a uh, it seemed to be like some people were complaining about why didn't they just call it Riva you know in a way I mean it seemed to be a lot about her journey more than Obi-Wan's journey in in some ways um <clears throat> I don't know how I felt about that I I I liked it but I can see I can understand that too you know it it did seem you know it I would have liked it to be a bit more pared down so it was really about him him and and maybe Leia him and Leia you know I was really surprised by, I mean, I was not expecting Obi-Wan and Leia, but I do think that yeah, Ewan and yeah. um, Vivian, I mean, the, the show, it was ride or die on their relationship. And yeah. thankfully, I mean, that firecracker of a little girl just yeah. nailed it. She did. She did. Absolutely incredible. But I will say that, like, I, I still look back and I still think it feels like they it feels like they swapped the stories for Boba and Obi-Wan. It feels like Boba could have or should have been given the story of, of Boba going through the galaxy, especially after he's you know gotten his armor back, he's gotten his ship back. Mm -hmm. He can do that. He can go and see the, you know, the seedy parts of the galaxy. We could get the, the underworld story. And I mean, for, for me, I... I really did love Kenobi, but I also absolutely got people's criticisms of, I really wish he wouldn't have left Tatooine. You know, I, I, I you know, that's what I love about uh, John's book, Kenobi. You know, I love that he's more of this man, you know, really a recluse in essence, you know, somebody in seclusion in the desert. Um, and, I would have liked to have seen more of that. And yeah, that would have been interesting had he met the Tuscans, you know, um, you know, and dealt more with the world of Tatooine instead of leaving the world, as you said. Um, I, I, I agree with that completely. Yeah, and I wonder what would have been if, if it would have been, as you said, where Boba would have been more of the adventurer, you know, exactly, you know, the mercenary. <laughs> Boba's but the one who's been stuck on Tatooine. He wants to get off. Exactly. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, I know that there's always been a question of whether Boba will be back for a second season. There's there's kind mm -hmm. of these rumors floating around that Ewan would love to do a, a season two of Kenobi, and that kind of opens mm. it up again, being like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to, are we, are we going to keep everything on Tatooine? Are they going to go off again? I'm not what really I loved, sure what they would do. Well, in the book, which so, you know, it's funny when I saw the story, the, the series, and after doing the, the narration for Kenobi, there was some, you know, talking about description and describing a world. When they show uh, Ewan in his cave, you know, in Tatooine, and he has the, um, uh, is it the AOP? Is that the creature? Yeah. I'm trying to mm -hmm. think. So the and um, that's right out of the book. I mean, mm -hmm. I was like, oh my god, I remember that. Like he had this pregnant AOP, and it's like whoever made the set. I was like, that's exactly how I pictured what everything looked like from John Jackson Miller's book. It, I, I found that very interesting um, to to see that. So. Uh, you know, kudos to them there. I, I really think that it kind of was was cool. You know, in 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 uh, the set designers and just uh, how they how they pulled that off. Yeah, Alfie, do you have anything? Yeah, um, having spent so much time with Anakin and Obi Wan, how did you feel about the flashback scene of their training? I, I liked it. I, I, I like those. And I also liked, um, this is slightly off of that, but I, you know, I like, well, I, I hope I'm not giving anything away for those who haven't seen it yet, but I like the appearance of, it's a spoiler, uh, I like the appearance of Qui-Gon, you know, and because that's also out of the book. Mm -hmm. You know, he has these throughout what the Kenobi audiobook and, and novel is, is he's continuously having these meditations where they're like soliloquies, they're like monologues where he's attempting to talk to Qui-Gon. 
So that was really cool to see that actually in the series too. Yeah, that's that's what I really was hoping for more of. I mean, I know that for me, like like I said, I was kind of hoping that it would be a little bit more of a smaller story on Tatooine, but like the heart of it still does need to be him wrestling with that trauma and yeah. and finally getting to that place where he is able to kind of open himself up to the force again and make that connection that you know Yoda always hoped he would with Qui-Gon. So that's that's the stuff where it's like oh, that I, I I really love that we've gotten to see that on screen and I don't know what they would plan if they were going to do a second part of it I but no idea either yeah because because <laughs> I just look at it like you know again I, I'm not somebody who likes sequels if they don't have a purpose so we got the big story with Obi-Wan leaving Tatooine this time around where I, I could have I would have preferred it to be, you know, very local Obi-Wan dealing with a, a local threat, just like in Kenobi, regardless of if they, you know, dramatize that one. Right. Exactly. But then dealing with, you know, having flashbacks from the Clone Wars and kind of bringing in that era and, and having flashbacks to people who were important to him and being able to um, wrestle not only with his role in Anakin's life, but you know, also Qui-Gon and other people like that. So I, I don't know. That's I, what, what I, what I don't like now though, is that it seems like there is a desire to continue at least from Ewan's part, you know, it, it seems like he had a lot of fun doing it and who can blame him. But at the same time, I kind of go, well, what I do love is that that limited series, as it was meant to be, you do see that arc. And so when you, when you give a character that that catharsis I really kind of go you have to be careful trying to do another series if there's not really that kind of internal drama that he's going through I don't know if it would land the same way mm -hmm. I don't think it would I think I agree with you they had their shot with the first season to kind of do that series and now that a, a second character growth series of almost the same exact as the first i, I don't know I, I feel it would be a little forced yeah i think that the you know the, there are ways that they could do it if they um you know i don't know find some some other way to tie it back to his past and the clone wars but it's got to be something different it can't be related right. to anakin it can't be related to qui-gon He's gone through that already, and I think I, I don't think that the fans would be very forgiving no. if if they if they did bring Anakin in again and had them meet yet again before. That kind of story should have been no, the first they season. Can't, yeah, you're right. I can't yeah. I can't see that either. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll we will see, but we'll I think that uh, we'll we'll still be here imbibing all of this new content and. And the, you know we're kind of suckers like that, aren't we? Just kind of whatever they whatever they give us. As much as we complain, we're we're still gonna watch it. We're still gonna love it. We're still gonna talk about it nonstop. Exactly. So, well, thank you so much for being willing to come and have these conversations. It's so nice to be able to sure. make these connections. And and I I I just love knowing that in the midst of all of the works that you do, you know, that, that there is something special about Star Wars that you enjoy beyond just it being a job. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and my best to Joe and the, and the guys. Yes. Thank you. Thank you as well to our listeners. We appreciate you so much. You're the reason, you know, we, we, we'd have these conversations regardless because we're just like that but you're the reason why we do this so if you have uh, interest in reaching out to us feel free to find us on twitter at rule the galaxy um and um i always forget where are the other places that they can find us pretty much me? everywhere facebook uh instagram tiktok and youtube and the merch store and a merch store on um etsy on etsy so yeah lots of places to to find us so thank you so much have a wonderful evening and may the force be with you <laughs> <laughs>